evening and uh, early tomorrow morning. And uh, we'll get a report on that on July 10th, so that will be fun for us to hear uh, as a church to kind of hear some of the stories of what's been happening. Uh, but that personally left me shuttling my youngest around town all week and getting him to all of his soccer camps, to his soccer games, and there were a lot of them this week. And uh, in the midst of all of that, I was trying to attend our denomination's annual meeting online. So I've got earphones as I'm running around with my phone on, trying to vote on various things. And at some point in time, my son is watching all of this happen, and he says to me, Dad, why do you go to these boring meetings? <laughs> Thank you, son. Uh, and I said, you know, when things impact you, when things change your life. He said, well, yeah, I want to be a part of the conversation. I said, well, these meetings impact me and our church, and I want to be a part of the conversation. Now, if you haven't heard, there was another big decision uh, that happened this week. The Supreme Court overturned a almost 50-year-old court case that now shifts abortion rights to the state level. And the judge wrote, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion, and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. Now, my son's quick answer to the question, my desire to be at the annual meeting for nomination, and this court case and the response that we've seen to it, I'm sure we'll continue to see, I think demonstrates a universal reality for all of us. Everyone wants to have at least some level of control over their life and maybe the lives of those around them. Where? Well, we call that power. And power is this idea of having the authority or having control or the ability to influence others. According to an author and theologian, Richard Foster, Century, early 19th century, Lord Acton, as he's known, coined this phrase that maybe you're familiar with. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Are you familiar with this? Well, this is part of our series, ironically, on control, or should I say self-control. We've been talking about different areas of our lives that we struggle to control. Today, if you want to open up your Bible, 
or your mobile Bible, which also doubles as a phone. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Sorry, today we do not have a screen to put it up on there for you, so if you want to follow along, you'll have to be here. Philippians 2, chapter 1, starts like this. Therefore, if any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, I'm going to pause there. So he starts off with therefore, and when we see a therefore in scripture, we always want to look back and see what's the context, what's happening here. So let's do that. Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter, and he's in prison because he's been announcing that Jesus is Lord, or Jesus is King. And if you're a king, you don't like that. So you put somebody in jail when they're claiming to be the king. So Paul's in prison, and prison those days is actually something that's not very fun. Not that prison is fun today, but it's hard because you're not provided for in prison. In fact, the only provisions that you would get is if friends came to bring you something. So the Philippian church decides to send Epaphroditus along with some things for Paul, some food and things, to take care of Paul, and he is grateful for that. Paul sends back a letter via Epaphroditus that says, I am so thankful for what you have done. This is all in chapter and I know that you are super concerned for me because I am in prison. But I want you to know that it's not all that. In fact, because I'm in prison, it turns out that the gospel, the good news, is spreading to more and more people. This is actually a good thing. And I understand that you are also going through some suffering because you've been proclaiming Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, where you live. And I want to encourage you today. So therefore, if you have any encouragement from being connected with the body of believers, from being connected with Jesus, I want to encourage you. And so he says in verse 2, going on, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is a call for unity. And if it sounds like it's impossible today, it wasn't that much different back then. They struggled as well. So Paul gives them a couple things that he wants to encourage them that will help bring unity to the body of believers in Philippi. And in verse 2, he starts talking about ideas that affect the inner life of a believer. So he says things like, have the same love, be one in spirit, one in mind. Now, these ideas are not having the exact same thoughts or believing exact, the exact same things. It's really more like a performance band or an ensemble or some sort of... that we are gifted, and yet we are called to the same mission, the same 
way that we are called to love others. And so what we do as Christians to maintain unity is to focus on God, to focus on God's love for one another, and we join in God in that mission of extending God's love into the world, into our community first, and then So, in verses 3 and 4, he then moves into the external side of how we maintain unity. He says, don't be selfish. Value others more than yourself. Look to the interests of others. Now, I don't know about you, these things can seem really hard to do. To act out these things in our lives, to love others, to care for others above ourselves, most of us, including myself, can be very selfish. But Paul is giving them a vision of what can happen when they live in unity, when they care for others. And I want you to think about what does happen when others put your interests ahead of their own. Do you not feel loved and cared for and like you are important? Paul's invitation is then for us and for the people of Philippi to do that very thing. somebody who's winning, people who have strength that can help us, positional power that can get us things that we want uh, done for us. Now, interestingly enough, if you were an ancient Near East person like the Philippian church and the people that Paul was writing to, you might have been thinking about some of the great heroes of their time. Alexander the Great was one of the most famous heroes at that time. He at the age of 20, took power from his father, Philip. At the age of 33, he conquered what was, at that time, the entire known world. People literally called him a god. Now, similarly, at the time of Paul's writing of the Book of Philippians, Augustus Caesar had 
recently conquered and reunited a divided Rome, and it was very divided at that time. And people were so impressed with what he did. Gospel stories, unfortunately, there's a story of the disciples who are after some positional power. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, Jesus called the disciples together and said, You know the rulers and the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 2. Paul's Christ home is a model for how we can live our lives, and it's a call for unity with our brothers and sisters. Jesus is building a beautiful kingdom. 
reason it's beautiful is because Jesus isn't like any other king in the world. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus humbled himself. He didn't use his status as God to make people do things. Instead, he humbled himself and he invited them to follow him and see if his way wouldn't be a better way. Jesus also didn't grab power. He served others and gave it away. And when other people in his movement, like Peter, grabbed a sword and tried to kill somebody with it, or at least harm them, and assert power, Jesus said, no, 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 don't do that. He told him to put it down, and he eventually healed the man's ear. And Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father, humbling himself to death on a cross. So the question for us isn't, do you have power? You all have power. Everyone has some level of power, some of us more than others. The question is, will you humbly use that power for others? Jesus recognized his power. He knew that he was God, but it says that he did not use that to his own advantage. So I want to, us to think about how we can use our power, whatever power we have, for other people. Like Jesus, I think we need to recognize our own power. We can spend time thinking about what that is, what, does, what has God given me as the things that I can control, that I can assert authority over, or that I can influence. Jesus, being in very, in very nature God, did, did not consider that something that he would use to his own advantage. And so similarly, we also, like Jesus, need to then take the nature of a servant and use our powers for others. Series. We've been talking a little bit about some of the things that we can do to work on our self-control. And those three things are kind of simple. Daily connection, daily confession, and we've talked about daily submission. So I want to use those things to think about what we have in regards to our own As we think about daily uh, connection, I think one of the ways that we can use that as a tool for us to be more empowered is to spend time
sink opponents. Oftentimes, laying down power is how we empower other people. And so we want to daily submit that to the Lord and even be willing to give up our power for God and whatever God would want for us. In his book, Money, Sex, and Power, Richard Foster says power can destroy, but power can also create life, joy, and peace. And if you're wondering what that looks like, Man, I came up with a ton of examples, but I'm just going to give you a few. I think about William Wilberforce, who used his power as a Christian politician to abolish slavery in the British Empire. I think about Michelle Clifton Soderstrom and Dominique Gilliard, two, of, uh, two people from our denomination's uh, seminary restorative arts justice program where people who are in prison study alongside people who are not in prison. And this past spring, 34 people graduated with an MDiv. What a powerful story of restoration. Using their power and authority as teachers, as credentialed ministers in the gospel. turn around and give power away and encourage others and love others. Amen.